Hey there. Thanks for joining us for the latest podcast from Resound Church. We really believe that together we are better. And our heart is to reach, send, nurture and disciple people as they become all that God has intended them to be. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or head over to our website resound.church forward slash app to grab our app which will keep you up to date with everything going on. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Good morning. Jesus did that all for you. And you know, for, for us today, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we need to be reminded, I'm not going to tell you anything new this morning, there isn't anything new to say, but we do need to be reminded again of what Jesus has done for us all. And it was all for you, it was all for me. And this Sunday morning, we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that as a result of his resurrection, we too have an experience of new life. I want to take you back to that Sunday morning, that day after the Passover where, you know, the women were looking for Jesus. They were going to attend to his body. They were going to embalm him, if you like, only to be surprised. Interesting that the women went to do that. The men were sitting back in a room somewhere, hiding, I suppose. But they went to that tomb and yet the tomb was empty. What an extraordinary morning. The goal or aim of Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection has always been the same. The target, the objective, the outcome he was after was a relationship with you and a relationship with I that was reconciled, that was repaired, that was put back together. I'm in a relationship with Christ because he made a way where there could be no way. It's not my thoughts, efforts, action or sacrifice that makes the difference. It's actually all about him. Think back to the scene around Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified. The disciples were scattered and shattered. Their hopes and possibly their identity revolved around the Messiah that came and made them stand out. Jesus was the Messiah in their eyes. And even if there were questions about his claims, at the very least, he was a sought-after teacher and miracle worker. They had access. They were friends. They were close. And they'd grown in notoriety simply because of their connection to Jesus. Suddenly, one Friday before the Sabbath, he was brutally killed. There would have been turmoil amongst his followers, but in the eyes of others, perhaps this was just another unjustified and brutal execution by authorities. He wasn't the only person crucified, for many others had been crucified in exactly the same way. And in, in so many ways, we forget that. We, we think his crucifixion was extraordinary. No, unfortunately, unfortunately, it was ordinary. It was not unusual for people to be crucified. For the disciples and for his family, though, it was tragic. This good man, his life taken by, a deceitful, com- by deceitful community leaders for nothing more than the threat he appeared to be to their popularity. 
Jesus had changed so many lives already by his teaching and especially by his healing. He had spoken to them about his primary role as a Messiah, something most of them were still coming to grips with, something they were still sort of processing. The greatest loss at that moment was the hope he created for their lives. The teaching, the changed philosophy, a different approach. There were things he offered that were fresh to them. You think of uh, Peter and John, fishermen, and suddenly transformed from fishermen to followers of the Messiah. They were getting known by the people around about as they as they watched Jesus do what he was doing. He, the teacher, had transformed the lives of his followers, a tax collector in particular, prostitutes, sinners, and he'd offered them hope and a fresh beginning, but now he was dead. And you think of Matthew, the tax collector in particular, and the way he'd accrued a whole lot of finance, but at the same time, it also accrued a whole lot of angst. People knew what he was like. And Jesus offered him a fresh start, a new beginning, a new opportunity. But now this man that had offered him a new opportunity was suddenly dead, died on a cross. The grief and loss they experienced would have been deep. Their hope was lost. Their faith probably shattered. Sure, there may have been some inkling that things would turn out different, but mostly as the hours wore on and as he was interred and interned and locked in a tomb, the reality was sinking in. Grieving and burial process allowed some women an opportunity to return to the tomb to attend to his body and complete the preparation task. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 23 and verse 50 and following. And it says this. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council. But he had not agreed with the decisions and actions of of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb, that had been, a tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. 
And so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw, his empty, uh, saw the empty linen wrappings and he went home again, wondering what had happened. The explanation of that first Sunday morning, that first Easter Sunday morning is understandable. The women are perplexed but resolute in their understanding. They've not only seen the empty tomb, but angels had explained the events and reminded them of what Jesus had already told them. And it was easier for them to believe when they'd had that sort of an encounter. The other disciples, the 11 apostles, weren't so quick to believe. Luke said they thought it was nonsense and they didn't believe it. Peter, though, ran to look, left the tomb wondering. Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. The story is unbelievable. And we ought not to um, be ashamed of that thought, that initial feeling. The apostles didn't believe when it was first told to them. They thought it was nonsense, the Bible says, and they didn't believe. Peter moved from complete unbelief to wondering, it says. As a result of his inquisitiveness and possible hope. Maybe his denial of Christ, his regret pushed him on. Perhaps he was somehow hoping to repair the breach, restore his commitment. At least he moved from unbelief to wondering. And think about Peter. You know, we know that Peter denied Christ three times. And, and he said, you know, even if you die, I'll, I'll, I'll be there, I'll be with you. And then he mucked it all up. He denied Christ clearly before the rooster crowed and uh, Jesus looked at him, the Bible says. He knew he'd mucked it up and, and then the, the last he would have saw was Jesus hanging on the cross. Perhaps he was in the distance watching him being taken down. I don't know if you can understand what Peter would have felt, but he'd betrayed, betrayed somebody who had been probably his best friend at the time. He let him down. And so I think when Peter heard the story, there was this faint hope. There was this idea that somehow, someway, maybe he could make up for the mistake that he had made. So having heard the story from the women, he took off on a run. He ran to the tomb and it says, you know, we have all sorts of different pictures about what the tomb was like. Many of us think, you know, there was a massive rock and you walked in, it was a walk-in tomb, but the Bible says that Peter stooped down to look in. So maybe the tomb was much smaller than what we think. Early images have, you know, a, 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 a place set up where the coffin would have laid in our minds, body would have laid on this, on this setting, and then the angels standing around about. Well, that's not the picture that we get from Luke because it says... Peter stooped in to have a look. In other words, it seems that it was lower than him and probably a whole lot smaller than what we conceive. And then as he walked away from the tomb, he says he, it says he was wondering. 
And I don't know about you, but I do a lot of wondering. I think, okay, you hear something. It's the beginning of a journey. You think, maybe it is true. Maybe he has risen from the dead. And wondering, wondering is a good thing if it's the beginning of the process towards faith. Wondering is a good thing if it leads you along the journey. And you know, there are times where we wonder what God is going to do. And for Peter here, took him from unbelief to this point called wandering. The response of the disciples that first Easter morning isn't that different to our regular considerations. It can be hard to believe. Most of us carry an innate willingness to accept the historical facts we agree intellectually and we accept the story. The point of Christ's actions, though, was never a simple agreement with the facts. There are many people who believe the facts, but it hasn't transformed their life. He died to give you a fresh start. He died so you too could be resurrected and start all over again. He died so a new beginning would be experienced by you in every sphere of your life. He died to begin a new relationship with you. The morning he was resurrected, a new relationship was born for the early disciples as well. He died to begin a new relationship with you. It's emotional, it's conversational, but ultimately it's meant to be eternal. The disciples that morning, that Sunday morning, had many different experiences. The women were committed to a proper burial yet were met with an enormous surprise. They weren't going to see the risen Christ. They were going to continue the process of burial. Their hearts weren't full of faith, but they were very, very loyal. They were met with angels who told the story and reinforced that story by reminding them of what Jesus had already said. I think some people today need a moment of encounter And they need to research the scriptures and choose to believe what they say. There's two common points in this that I want to communicate to you today. It's this. We need both an encounter with God and a reminder of what he's already said. One's an emotional, relational, conversational experience. The other is is born out in the scriptures. What Jesus said is recorded for us all and for all time. And we actually need both. We don't just need what's written here, we need what happens in our hearts. And for all of us, usually a connection or relationship with God starts by something happening on the inside. It may be that you feel something as we sing a song. It may be that someone talks to you about something and your heart grows warm. But what happens in your heart is a critical component of your relationship with God. But it needs to be, if you like, you need to be reminded of what the Bible says. Because the Bible's our test of what's going on inside. The disciples simply didn't believe they had a longer journey. And and again, they had an encounter with Christ that was reinforced by what Christ and the Scriptures had to say. We know that Thomas had to go as far as placing his hands on Christ's wounds. Peter, for all his ups and downs, he heard the story. 
wasn't sure but investigated further. He looked and listened but still wondered. But the final outcome for him was still the same as for everyone else. He he had an encounter with Christ and then he was taken back to what Jesus had already said. Today, I think every single one of us needs an encounter. But we also need a constant reminder. An encounter and a reminder. Just like Peter, we've got to be willing to investigate further. Peter was driven by probably disappointment in Christ and disappointment in himself. But he didn't allow disappointment to take him out. What he did was he allowed the circumstances to speak to him. And then he was reminded again of what Christ had already said, what Christ had already done. It can happen once, but it ought to happen multiple times. For every single one of us, there's a point at which we first make a decision to follow Christ. I know for me, you know, many, many years ago now, there was a time where I first accepted Christ. And yet, Encounters and reminders go on and on and should go on and on in life. I was doing my devotions this morning and I read again from Matthew and it won't come up on the screen. But I just read the story. Again, it's about Matthew chapter 9, I think it is, where Jesus had healed the woman with the issue of blood and he was on the way till the daughter of their synagogue leader, I believe it was. And what happened is Jesus got to the place where people were mourning this girl who had died. And what he did was he, he said to the crowd, go away, leave us alone. The second thing he did was he took the girl's hands and then he spoke to her and he said, stand up. We know that she came to life. As I was reading this morning, I thought, you know what? There's a story in that for us as well. For you to have an encounter with God, what you've got to do is move away from the crowd. Get alone by yourself somewhere, somehow, some way. And then what you've got to do is ready your heart, ready your spirit, ready your mind so that Jesus can come alongside of you And hold you by the hand. Holding someone's hand is an intimate thing. Apparently we're not allowed to do that anymore. Handshakes are out and fist bumps are in or elbows are in. Handshake isn't really intimate, but sitting alongside your spouse and holding their hand is. There's a level of intimacy that goes into a relationship when hands are being held. And so the crowd needs to go away. You need to find yourself in a place where intimacy is appropriate and allowed. And you need to allow Jesus to hold your hand. And the way that he holds your hand is through an emotional experience. It is through a connection and a relationship with him. It it, it is where, where you're able to pour your heart out and he's able to pour his heart out toward you. And then the final component of that passage of scripture, it says Jesus said to to the girl to stand up. 
In other words, there comes a time where the crowd has gone away. You've had a moment of intimacy with God where you now need to respond and stand up and get back out into the world as well. And we know the little girl would have went out and said, yes, yes, I'm the girl that was dead, but now I'm alive. So there's got to be the encounter and there's got to be the reminder. The disciples had encounters with with Christ as he walked on the earth, many encounters, but they still needed another encounter once he died and rose again. We know that Jesus met them and as we heard from the video, he met them over a period of 40 days and he talked with them, he explained to them. With Thomas in particular, it wasn't only Thomas that doubted, he gets a lot of bad press. All the others doubted as well. It just so happens that he was courageous enough to say that he doubted and everyone jumped on him. And, and, and you know, he said, well, unless I get to put my hands on his, uh, on his wounds, then I won't believe. And so Jesus turns up and says, well, here I am. Test it out, see what it feels like. I think Thomas is probably going, oh, that's gross, I don't want to do that anymore. There's nothing wrong with doubting as long as you don't let doubt destroy you. If it's a part of the journey, just like Peter was left wondering, it's a part of the journey, it's okay to keep growing. It's okay to keep going. And so this little girl, the crowd's gone, Jesus takes her by the hand, And he says simply, stand up. What Jesus went through on the cross, it was always for you. His desire, his plan, his purpose, his ideal was a reconciled relationship, not a a contract, not some corporate agreement, but a moment of intimacy where he is able to share with you what's on his heart and you're able to share with him what's on your heart, where there's a connection, where there's the opportunity of knowing all that he, he, he feels for you and how he loves you. And on top of that, there needs to be the constant reminder that comes from the word. The Bible realigns us. Because there's moments of intimacy where, where, where we feel good, but we also need to understand what Jesus had to say all the way through. This Sunday morning, in many ways, it's just another Sunday morning for us. We observe or we remember, and if you've got uh, your communion capsules in front of you, take one of those down and prepare it. We remember what Jesus did. But if we're all brutally honest, there's hardly anyone here in this room with the capacity, with the ability to be able to comprehend what he did. We didn't live in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. We didn't understand the, the brutality of a crucifixion like they would have understood. We've got no idea what it would be like to lose someone and to have them die and pass away and then suddenly, for a couple of days later, for him to rise again. There would have been absolute shock and disbelief. We know as we read the Bible that there was the possibility of this happening was already considered by the leaders at the time, they said, start a rumour and say the Christians have taken the body away. 
We can't fully comprehend what they all experienced and we will never ever really know what Jesus experienced. But we do know this, he did it for you and he did it for me. If the musos would like to make their way up, that'd be great. We hold in our hands some bread, some juice. And I need to say this because it is important. There is nothing special in this bread and in this juice. They are simply emblems that enable us to, in a practical way, remember what Jesus has done. The bread represents his body that was broken for us. The juice represents his blood that was shed for us. There is nothing momentous in these two emblems, but there is something profound, something momentous, something life-transforming. For all mankind, through the actions of Christ, when he went to the cross, gave his life, and then was resurrected again. Father, we hold in our hands this bread. We know it represents the broken body of your son, Jesus Christ. And we express our thanks again as as imperfect, as unable we are to really understand what took place. We gather today to remember and to give thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Father, we hold this juice, a representative of the blood that was shed for us. This day and age, Father, we, we don't even fully understand what it, what it means to sacrifice for sin. Of course, we learn and we know, but we don't live in a society or in a culture where things are sacrificed in that same way. But we do know what the Bible says and that it was necessary that a sacrifice be made for our sin. That the only way there could be a sacrifice is if there was one who was perfect that could make that sacrifice. Father, we thank you that you sent your son as the perfect sacrifice that will enable reconciliation between mankind and yourself. And so today, Father, we give thanks for all that was done on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. See and drink. always you he went to the cross for you he rose from the dead for you and there is still an opportunity for you today to have an encounter with God that will transform your life and there is a constant reminder here in the Bible of all that has been done for you I'd encourage you today you, you may say well I'm a Christ follower I'm a Christian When was the last time you had an encounter with God? 
When was the last time your heart grew warm because somehow, some way, God was communicating to you? When was the last time Jesus was able to kneel down and take a hold of your hand because you'd, uh, you'd removed the busyness in your life and He was able to communicate with you? He hasn't changed. He still loves you. He still wants to speak to you. Still crying out to you. All you need to do is respond. Hey, what a great message. Thanks for joining us here at Resound Church. We pray that you've been encouraged through the message and that you've grown just a little bit closer to God. While you're online, why don't you head over and give us a like on Facebook or Instagram or check out our website at resound.church. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or head over to our website resound.church forward slash app to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. Well, don't forget next week, there'll be another amazing podcast here to listen to from Resound Church. We hope you join us then.